And good afternoon, good morning, good night, whatever time you're listening to this podcast. It is Wednesday afternoon when we're recording it. Uh, my name is Mark Carey. I'm the media director for the mayor's office in the city of the great city of Quincy. In his honors office, Mayor Thomas P. Koch. This is City View, a podcast, Quincy podcast. That's what you want to do. You want to search for podcast. Well, if you're listening, you already found it. So, <laughs> hello, Mayor. Hello, Mark. <laughs> I digress as usual. Yes, what indeed. A beautiful day. You're actually a beautiful fall day. Tough on the allergies. The ragweed's oh. really hot uh, right brutal, now. But, brutal. Uh, I've been scratching my eyes day. like crazy. And you can see the trees are starting to turn on the Hancock Adams Common as we look out the window. It is yeah. a little late this year, though, isn't it? Well, it, it it varies. But I do remember. I think we talked about this recently. We did. Yeah. As a kid, when we were trick or treating, because <laughs> there were a lot more trees on the streets in those days, but you were literally kicking through the leaves, you know. But the yeah. seasons have seemed to have gotten longer. And pushed around a little bit. Spring is later. Fall is pushing later into winter. Yeah. I mean, that's beyond my pay grade. But <laughs> it seems to be later, yes. Yeah. Well, it's still it's my favorite time of year. So I, Beautiful I time of year. Let's get right into it, boss. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about what's coming up uh, really soon is is our local election. And without getting into the actual who's running for what or what, or, you know, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the importance of local elections, right? Well, absolutely. I, I often say when I've spoken to groups, particularly students, whether it's Quincy College or Quincy High or North Quincy High School, the importance of local elections. Everyone gets all rived up and revved up about presidentials, and, and uh, the reality is the rubber hits the road at the local level. So most things that people uh, are involved with or get affected by, right, it's trash pickup, it's plowing, it's street repaving, it's schools, it's libraries, it's parks. I could go on Police and on. It's and it, fire oh, All and of that is local. So, I mean, we, we get some federal money and state money here and there for some of these things. But the reality is it uh, most interaction between citizens is between them and local government. Uh, I'm not trying to minimize the importance of state or federal government. My point is we continue to see a drop-off in voter turnout at the local level. For that matter, at all levels, but particularly at the local level. And uh, that's concerning right? because it, it is important. Uh, I think it's extremely important that people should get involved, understand what's at stake. Uh, obviously, everyone loves the community they live in. Well, you know, it's a great privilege we have and able to go and vote. So why not take advantage of it? We have 30 precincts. It's very easy to yeah. access uh, your, your precinct and vote. And if you can't make that day, the early voting now, right. I mean, it couldn't be easier than it, easier than it's ever been. So um, it's troubling to me. I mean, this year we have the city council and the school committee, half the school committee, because it's it varies. They have four-year right. terms. So the cycle, there's three three seats up this time. And then the full city council, there's a race in Ward 2 and a race in Ward 5. Uh, and there's uh, a fourth candidate running at large the three seats there, but it's been pretty quiet. Uh, I certainly know that many candidates are out working, and I'm, I don't mean quiet from their perspective. Yeah, sure. just, just generally, it seems very quiet. And I'm glad I'm not on the ballot this year, <laughs> thankfully. I'm so, in the middle of my four-year So are term. we, who <laughs> work for you, yes. Uh, but people, uh, you know, I certainly encourage people. I, for this week's Quincy Sun, for example, has great profiles on all the candidates up for re-election and those running for the first time, or maybe the second time. That's a nice summary uh, of, of what's going on. So people should... Uh, Pick that up and check it out. There's some uh, going to be some changes next year on the precinct lines based on the new federal census. Every precinct has to be within uh, so much. They can't have precincts that outweigh others in, in weight. So they have to do a little bit of redistricting in the maps because of the increase in population and in some areas increase. For example, 
you know, a Squanum House Act doesn't really change. Yeah. But those areas that have zoning that's a little bit more liberal, you get more residents in that area. Uh, so, you know, you you, you got to re- redo the map. And once you start redoing the map, it kind of bumps everything a little bit. Oh, but yeah. Nikki Crispo, the city clerk, and her team, and certainly the city council has already voted on the map. We've shipped it into the Secretary of State, Mr. Galvin, and uh, that's all underway for next year. So at any rate, we certainly encourage people to get out and vote. That's fantastic. So there's a lot of candidates up for a school committee this year, but uh, let's let's just shift gears a little bit and talk about the schools and talk about COVID and the effect on the schools this year and talk about uh, some of the measures that have been taking place and sure. how that's all working right now. Just give us an update. Well, you know, I, I must say this right up front. Uh, there's a little bit of irony. I think that, um, you know, our school superintendent, Kevin Mulvey, who I think has been an outstanding leader, uh, along with Deputy Superintendent Aaron Perkins and the entire team over there, as well as the principals and teachers, and all, done a phenomenal job through this really unprecedented time. Truly. And it's not only the COVID, it was all that social justice upheaval, trying to navigate through all of this, dealing with the state and their regulations and rules, the feds and their really regulations and rules, all the governance that comes down. I mean, to some degree, Kevin Melvin was criticized because he's a lawyer. He's not, He wasn't in the classroom. I say, wow, it's funny how things work out because it's become so legalistic in running the schools right now. So I think he's the right person at the right time. At the end of the day, the superintendent is the administrator. The great team around him or her that handles curriculum and, and social, emotional wellness and all those particular issues. The superintendent really is a manager of people, oversees the system, uh, and, and does a phenomenal job. So I, I think Kevin and his team have done a remarkable job in some really crazy times. Uh, and, and I mean that. I think we're, you know, we're in Massachusetts. It's very different. We're in Quincy. It's very different in that we don't see the instability that we've seen in other parts of the country, uh, the incredible division in other parts of the country. We work very hard here. It's funny. I said to somebody the other day, Mark, I said, look, some people that are getting crazy about some of this critical race theory or some of the wacky ideas that are out there, let's eliminate all the great history we have. Oh, sure. Uh, that makes a ton of sense. But I said, you know, before COVID hit, Everybody was on the same page in Quincy that we have an outstanding school system, very diverse school system. Yeah. But we serve every kid and every family with their needs. And all of a sudden, because of COVID and some protests around the country, we're, we're now questioning some of the things we're doing and trying to reinvent the wheel here. It's a lot of baloney, quite frankly. You know, at the end of the day, we judge by how we serve our kids and how our kids succeed have they been given the opportunity to succeed? That's, and I don't care whether the kids, white, black, Asian, whatever the background. We treat everybody with respect, and, and, we, and we've seen it for years now how we embrace. The Quincy Public School family embraces every family in the city. I'm not saying we're perfect. Look, Mike, there's always going to be some issues because we're imperfect as human beings. But the reality is the school system was flying. We're a model statewide. Uh, a lot of great things happening. And all of a sudden, we get in this wacky world. And quite frankly, I think we as a school committee and we as a community should get back to the basics. We've been so distracted on so many issues. Right. We've seen it with the MCAS scores that the kids have suffered. And by the way, I'm not a big fan of MCAS, but the reality is we need a measurement tool. That's the tool we have right now. And it's showing we've lost... We've taken some steps back with COVID, and understandably so. There's no way you can have the same effect teaching by, by learning through 
virtual learning yeah. and, and the various. I mean, they, across it, the it country, was, it was it was helpful to get through the difficult time. But there's no better place than in the classroom, quite frankly. And so we got to get back to basics: reading and writing and you know arithmetic. The the old saying, you know, there's a song. I remember my father used to sing it before school started. He used to I hate it, I hate it. Reading and writing, arithmetic, back to school, in other arithmetic, words. Arithmetic, you know? that's an old song. Oh, shows your age, you know. No, I know that. But my point is um, we are in a global economy. We're up against all the countries in the world. We have to do better at the basics, and those are the math skills. Those are the communication English skills. Uh, those are the science skills. And uh, those are the history skills. We need to know our history uh, or repeat it. We work hard at all those things, but I think we've lost a little focus because we've been so worked up with COVID, so worked up on some of these. I think some of it's invented, quite frankly, and some of the craziness on the social justice issues. we got to get back to uh, taking care of each of the kids and making sure they're prepared to go out into the world and be able to succeed, whether they're going on to a two-year, four-year college, going to the military, going right into the work world. And I could spend a whole show about that, by the way. I I, I, you look at the shortages right now in the economy oh, around the world. We can't get truck drivers. It, it, it's crazy right now. So... I, I think, unfortunately, society has looked down on their nose on those that haven't gone to college, yet there are very important role, uh, roles and people in the trades that we, as an economy, will fall apart if we don't fill those roles. And uh, somebody said to me a long time ago, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. Whatever job you have in life, it's important and the pride you take in that job. So I'm not demeaning or suggesting people shouldn't go to college. I think that's perfect many kids, but I think there's a number of kids that feel the pressure, even by our own system, that think they're going to be a failure if they don't go off to school. They go off to school, they're not comfortable, they're gone by the first semester, and then they, they're floundering a bit. Why not help them find that path right from the start? Whether it's the military, I had, I had a kid that went in the Marine Corps, he talked about it from the sixth grade, and he's now out safe, thank God, but that's what he wanted to do, and we should encourage kids the way they want to do it. Kid wants to go in the carpenter's union, electrical union, plumber's union. These are big paying jobs today. Manufacturing. Manufacturing, jobs, I, yeah. you name it. So we've just recently hired uh, an individual at each high school with some of our federal money to work on kids finding the right career path. Right. So separate from what guidance does, and I'm not suggesting uh, they should change what they do. They have a great mission helping and guiding our kids uh, through. But there has been that little bit of an elitist attitude. If you don't go to college, you're a failure. And I, and I think we got to get over that and move on from that. Well, and not to get back and hound on this issue, but when you brought up the critical race theory, we, our school system is not afraid of teaching history. And no matter whether it's ugly or not, we, ha we teach our history the way it is. We just don't teach revisionist history, correct? No question about it. No yeah. question about it. I mean, and by the way, we are Quincy, Massachusetts, home of Adams and Hancock. I mean, mm. Our kids should be learning what went on in the backyard of their homes. They should get, and we, we talked about before COVID, yeah. we, you know, part of hiring Bob Damon was working with the educators, making sure our kids learn a little bit more about what happened in their backyard that led to the formation of this great nation. Yeah. So yeah, we should not whitewash it. We should not provide revisions history. Uh, and I'm not saying that there isn't room for some interpretation in some areas and, and another viewpoint and things, but no, you can't, you can't revise history and change it. History is history. It doesn't change. And, and those that say, if, if you, you don't learn from history, you repeat history. So there's some, there's some great moments in our history and there was some tough moments in our history and, and stuff that uh, none of us are proud of that happened right. centuries ago. The other thing that is difficult is you can't take today's standards and apply it 200 years ago. That's not fair. 
It, it was a different world, absolutely different world. So um, I think we got to be careful of that. You know, someday somebody's going to be looking back at all of us and making that same judgment, you know. So I, I think we do the best we can. We serve our kids, give them that great opportunity. Uh, we should be proud of our history, recognizing that it was not all perfect. That's for sure. Right. So let's shift gears a little bit more. And uh, we don't want to go too far outside the box, but why not? Let's talk about the federal infrastructure bill. What Actually, there's first no of limitations, all, well, there's no limitations exactly. So, this we're going to talk about the federal infrastructure bill and how it affects Quincy and how it will affect Quincy. Yeah, a couple of things. One is, as 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 you know, I've been questioned publicly by a couple of counselors on, you know, what do we do with the federal money? And you know, you think we had bags of cash heading off to the Bahamas? <laughs> um, I mean, we responded uh, in a, in a way that was modeled in other communities in Massachusetts. We didn't wait. We jumped right in and served. We partner with Manic Community Health, providing them all the logistics to get the testing going, right. then eventually the vaccines going. We provided direct aid to businesses, to people in the hospitality industry. I mean, we didn't stop. Unique we, ways. We, Unique ways, too. That's, that's, that's absolutely true. We did everything we could to keep the economy of Quincy going, right? The economy is driven from the ground up, not from the federal government down, as opposed to uh, a lot of belief in, in Washington these days. Think about what why America is where it is today. It wasn't because of the government created stuff. It's because individuals created things, and that's, that's another, another issue. But, I, but I'm proud of what we did on the ground here. We'll be sharing that with anybody and everybody. We helped all the nonprofits. We helped the food pantries stay going, community action, uh, you name it. We helped them get through this difficult time, and that was the role of that COVID money. And then the next phase came out, which includes money for, it's kind of like the, the, the opera it's called, which is kind of like the recovery portion that we, we purchased some land with it. We've done some things that you wouldn't normally be able to do otherwise. And that's yeah. the whole point of it. Right, right. It's to help get the economy back going again. It's to help uh, communities resolve some of their challenges, getting over the hump. So, you know, we'll talk more publicly about this stuff in more detail. I wouldn't change anything we've done, Mark. And I don't say that in an arrogant way. I say that in a way that we made the right decisions. When I say we, as you may recall, Mark, we had all our managers in, our department heads in. Yeah. I met with the medical community, with Beth Israel, uh, Deaconess, with uh, obviously Manit and South Cove. And so we've had this communication with everybody. So we're not duplicating things, but we're working together to get through it. And I think we've done it in a remarkable way. This, in fact, we've, we've engaged the, an economist to do a study on how we did it and what the results of how we did it to the economy and to, to the city. So waiting on those and gladly share those results. And it's from somebody outside of Massachusetts with a different set of eyes that I think would be helpful too. looking back at this. Okay, either ways we could have done a little bit better. And if somebody points that out to me, absolutely. If this ever happens again, we'll take a different direction. But I'm proud of what we did, proud of the team effort that happened. Everyone just pulled together. Unprecedented. You know, really. And, and, um, and the business community as well. I mean, we work well with them. The chamber, Tim Cahill and his team, they helped us get that money on the street for the hospitality workers. So uh, good stuff. And the next phase, of course, is the infrastructure. Infrastructure, yeah. And we, we hear about it whether you watch CNN, whether you watch Fox, whether you read the Wall Street Journal, the Globe, the Herald, whatever the case may be. There's been a lot of talk for months now on the president's proposal on inf infrastructure. And I would argue that very little of it is infrastructure with the $3.5 trillion, quite frankly. I think it's scary when you start to read the details in this stuff. You talk about a socialist movement in government. That's what this really is about. I think that we should be spending money on pure infrastructure, which is roads and rail and water and sewer. Those things that 
that really are infrastructure. Not and, and and I'm okay getting into some of the some of the environmental friendly infrastructure stuff, but some of the stuff that's in the 2,700 pages document that I bet very few of the senators and congressmen have read is nuts. It really is crazy. It's um, and I and I think that. Well, certainly from my perspective, as you know, I left the Democratic Party years ago, but I didn't join the Republican Party either. So I have an independent mind, and I and I and I am thrilled and grateful for Joe Manchin because Joe Manchin is the common sense guy right now. Bill Clinton figured it out. You got to operate government from the middle, and you get the two the extreme sides that are just so extreme you can't get to compromise. Right. When you're in the legislature, it's all about compromise. Mm. You know, you you shouldn't have to sell your soul. But in order to get a bill passed, it was designed this way. It was it was designed to slow it down, to make sure that things were done appropriately and correctly. Uh, so, thank God for Joe Manchin. He's he's been the common sense guy about this stuff. He's called out the left wing on this stuff, the left wing progressives who are just shoving their agenda down our throat. And people are going to wake up and say, "Hey, what happened? What happened to this country?" Well, they already are. You know, this the the spirit of America didn't come from the government. The spirit came from the people. And now, you know, the federal government was role was to, to provide defense. It was the main role of the government. But look at it now. And and they talked about the a piece of it, just one example. They in there they had if is a transaction of six hundred dollars more or more in your account, the bank notifies the IRS. You talk about intrusion? It, it's insane to me. That's just one example of oh, yeah. stupidity. Prior to that, it was $10,000, and it was about preventing money laundering and all. And, and I get it, and I'm fine with the 10000 But $600, are you kidding me? You go out to, to dinner with a few couples, it's 600 bucks at the restaurant. I mean, this is crazy stuff, crazy stuff. So crazy. Uh, I, I'm grateful wow. for Congressman Lynch. He's been a great liaison to me about what our needs are in Quincy how they'll fit into the federal dollars. And uh, he's been a great partner. So I, I really appreciate his work on it, particularly uh, and his communication because we're, we're in a communication on a regular basis. We have a lot of infrastructure needs. We're an old city. So when this comes down and the guidelines are issued, we'll be ready. We, you know, we got a lot of projects that want to get moving on. I'll give you an example, Mark, because infrastructure breaks down to many different ways, but there's water, mains, uh, sewer work in here. Yeah. And that's very expensive work. Right. For example, we have the Quincy Shipyard, which is owned by essentially two major entities, uh, Dan Quirk and Jay Cashman. Quirk owns the majority of it, and Cashman owns a portion of it. The shipyard, as we know, had a great history of shipbuilding, but the yard itself, infrastructure-wise, is a mess. The water and sewer in there is an absolute disaster. So I would take a portion of this infrastructure money go in and redo the water mains and saw mains. And because what's going to happen is at some point, the shipyard's going to see development. And if you don't have, if we're not prepared for that development and have your infrastructure ready, then we can't enjoy that development. Right. Things will get held up and right. say it's life science and biotech. They'll go somewhere else because we're not ready for it. So mm. that's a good example that we could probably go in and spend easily three or $4 million fixing water and saw mains in there that today are a problem. We're losing water, unaccounted for water, and many of those lines were ours. Some of them were private. When it was a shipyard, mm. getting the getting the ships built during the war effort, nobody thought about permits or where to lay the line or what. You know, it, it just get the job done. So um, that's a good example of what we need to do with some of this money. I mean, we get seawalls. We get all kinds of challenges that will put the money to work. And by the way, that improves and updates our infrastructure, which we've last twenty years we've heard about how it's in tough shape. How many thousands of bridges across the country? are failing inspections. I right. mean, so there's a legitimate need for it. It puts people to work. 
It so it puts food on the family's table and it updates their infrastructure. A lot of this other stuff that's in there, folks, wake up and question some of this. That's a good note to uh, end it on today, boss. What do you think? I think that's fine. Thanks, Mike. All right, thanks. As always enjoy the Thank day, you, Mayor.